Okay, Luke 22. If you've got a um, Bible with you, I want to invite you to find Luke chapter 22. The words will also be up on the screen in just a moment. So if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you'll be able to um, see the words um, up on the screen. If you are just popping in um, for the first time or you've been away for a while, and, and by the way, if you, um, I know several of you, this is a homecoming, you're a student and you've been away, you're back at Prairie Hill for a weekend, or you're a family member from out of town, so special welcome to you. We're getting toward the end of the Gospel of Luke. We, uh, we're in a section of Luke's Gospel where the failures of Jesus' disciples are starting to um, really come to the forefront. Uh, they've had all kinds of little failures all along the way, uh, but now we have some really big ones to look at. And um, just think, uh, okay, if someone on the street asked you to name a few of the failures of Jesus' disciples, which ones would come to mind right away? Those are the ones we're talking about today, okay? Two weeks ago, when we introduced this topic of the failures of disciples, we talked more about everyday failures that we all have. We saw them doing just stuff we all struggle with daily, uh, self-indulgence, self-sufficiency, self-seeking. They were doing all those things, and we talked about how Jesus handles those things. Today, we're talking about the really public failures of Jesus' disciples, like the biggies. And um, we're talking about Judas, and we're talking about Peter. Um, originally, I thought we'd be able to cover both Judas and Peter today, talking like one theme of grand failure. Look what Judas did, look what Peter did. We're actually going to split it in two. We're just going to talk about Judas' failure today, and then we're going to talk about Peter next week. Okay? So this is part two. It's gonna, we'll end up having a part three. Now today, talking about Judas' failure is going to be more oriented toward those of you um, who have not yet begun to follow Jesus, or you look back on a time in your life where you were following Jesus, and now you no longer are. You've said goodbye. The particular failure we're looking at today is more oriented to you if you're in that category. Next Sunday will be more so oriented toward those of you um, who are following Jesus today and would like to be following him tomorrow in looking at Peter's failure. We'll do that next Sunday, Lord willing. But today we'll just talk about Judas and notice how Jesus handles the kinds of failures we see uh, in the passage today. So uh, verse 47 is where we'll begin. We'll read through verse 53. Um, If you're able to stand this morning, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the word. So this is Luke 22, uh, beginning in verse 47. While he was still speaking, and uh, this is Jesus, and just recall he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been praying, talking to his disciples about why they're not praying. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. 
And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Amen. All right, please be seated. We're calling these um, failures we're looking at now grand failures. We all know what's ahead for Peter. We're going to talk about Peter's denials next week, next Sunday. This first failure that we see, um, we could call the failure of dismissing Jesus from your life. This is the first grand failure, the one committed by Judas here. And I'm just giving it the name, the failure of dismissing Jesus from your life. It is the failure of discipleship abandoned or discipleship perhaps never begun. It is the failure of rejecting Jesus. What is your posture toward Jesus today? How would you describe your posture toward Jesus? Everyone has a posture toward Jesus. It might just, uh, it might be indifference. Honestly, it might be ignorance. Like you may just not know that much about him. And if, if, that, if that's the case with you, if your posture towards him is just one of ignorance, then I hope today is really helpful for you. I hope that you will learn a little bit more about who he really is today. But everyone has a, a posture toward him. Your, your posture might be that of a worshiper. Or it could be that of an opponent. Maybe you would describe your posture toward Jesus as a respectful admirer. You're a a respectful admirer of his that prefers to keep some distance between yourself and Jesus. Like you haven't bought in all the way, but you you do look at him and say, yeah, he's he's a pretty good person. I have a lot of respect for him. Maybe that's your posture. Whatever your posture is toward Jesus, especially if you're not a worshiper, what we want to do here with this passage about Judas coming to him in the garden to betray him is notice, first of all, that there's more than one way to reject Jesus. In fact, on display here in the garden, there are two kind of opposite ways to reject him. There's actually a a really tragic but very intriguing paradox that's present here on this night in this little garden when Jesus is being betrayed. Here's the paradox. Think about this. The one who is considered a great enough threat that swords and clubs need to be brought to apprehend him is also the one who is considered gentle and lowly enough to approach with a kiss. That's a paradox. It's such a dangerous situation that you need swords and clubs, but he's also so lowly and gentle that it's okay to come up to him and give him a kiss. And it just illustrates the two kind of opposite ways there are to reject Jesus Christ. We might reject him affectionately or we might reject him aggressively. 
those are the two kind of opposite ways that Jesus is still dismissed by people. Some people, lots of people, dismiss him with a kiss. We give him kind of a respectful, even admiring dismissal. And lots of people in the other category reject him aggressively as with a a club in their hand. So we're going to talk about those two ways to reject Jesus today, the ways he's dismissed either with a kiss or with a club. Let's talk about the affectionate dismissal first. This is Judas. There's another kind of dismissal that's reflected by the officers, but we'll talk about Judas first. He's the one who dismisses Jesus with some affection and with some respect. And so my question to you as we get into talking about Judas is just ask yourself, could this possibly be the way that I'm dismissing Jesus? If you are, am I rejecting him affectionately? Judas is the example here of a respectful dismissal. And if we went to a different gospel, if we went to the gospel of Matthew, Matthew gives a little more color to the situation. He tells us that Judas came up to him with the words, greetings, rabbi. This kind of warm, affectionate, everything is fine greeting offers him this kiss. There's still apparently, maybe, some measure of respect in Judas' heart toward Jesus. Some affection present, maybe, either real or fake. And what I'm asking you is, could this be a decent picture of the way that you right now are dismissing Jesus from your life? Maybe some of us feel like we just outgrow Jesus. That he just doesn't keep up with the ambitions that we have for our lives. Like, he, like Jesus is okay in childhood. We can go along with that, especially if we have people holding our hand and taking us toward Jesus. But then at some point, like adult things come into the picture. And we get interested in adult ambitions. And Jesus becomes kind of like a, a dead weight because he's leading in a different direction than we want to go. And so we just kind of give him this respectful, uh, even admiring, so long. Like no, no hatred necessarily. No like severe reaction to him. He just can't keep up anymore with where we want to go. He's just kind of a, a quaint, kind thing of the past. And we just start to kind of walk away. Still admiring, still some respect. But he's being dismissed nevertheless. I think that probably describes where Judas was to an extent. Jesus wasn't keeping up with his ambitions. At, at the beginning of the relationship, it looked like they might be heading in the same direction, talking about the kingdom. Hey, Judas, that sounds good. Let's do the kingdom thing. And then it becomes apparent to Judas that Jesus is not talking about a right now kingdom. He's talking about a later kingdom. And Judas isn't down with that. He wants the right now. He wants Rome kicked out now. Glory for Israel now. And so... Since Jesus can't keep up with that ambition, he just kisses him goodbye. And you may not be hostile toward Jesus. There's no, there's no hostility in your heart. You might even cherish some kind of affection for him. 
but you have your own life now, and he's just not part of it. Okay? Now, if you can identify with some of those thoughts, if that describes you kind of, then just hang on for a minute, because we're going to notice how Jesus responds to that kind of a, a view. Okay? Before we do that, let's notice the other kind of dismissal that's present here. It's the aggressive dismissal that we see in the officers. They're the ones that illustrate that. They're the ones that come out with swords and clubs. Maybe this is a better picture of the way that you are rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting him really gladly. And there are a growing number of people, you might be one of them, that see Jesus and his followers as not only silly and mistaken, but actually part of the big... We're talking about aggressive dismissals. We're talking about how there are a growing number of people who see Christians as part of the problem. Barriers to progress. Misogynistic. Patriarchal. Backwards, oppressive, etc., etc., etc. Okay, If that comes close to describing how you feel, you would describe your posture of Jesus as just some kind of aggressive opposition. You're not offering him any kind of kiss or warmth or admiration. You're not pretending to admire him. You're not pretending any of those things. Very much like these officers that we read about here. Uh, Basically, you think the world would be a better place without Christians. So, those are the two opposite ways that Jesus was dismissed on this particular night. Just a moment, please. Right, good to go. Hey, can't say enough about the the response of this congregation to um, just the things that have happened this morning. Thank you. I mean, praise the Lord. You just you just never know, right? Thank you, Lord. Some people reject Jesus affectionately, and some reject him aggressively. Here's what we want to do. We want to notice that Jesus handles these two kinds of rejections in the same way. He handles them the way that he handles everything, by asking a question, of course. Whether you are rejecting him affectionately or aggressively, his approach, his method with you is the same. He asks a question. Judas is asked a question at verse 48. The officers who have the swords and the clubs and they want to take him out, they're asked a question at verse 52. This is Jesus' way with people. This is what he's always doing. He does. So listen, if you're in one of those two categories, you're really, I am so glad you're here. You are at home here learning about Jesus and sitting under the teaching of his word. Just see that what he has for you this morning, if you are rejecting him, whichever, wherever you are on the spectrum, he just has a question for you, okay? He doesn't have a lecture. He's not bringing the fire and brimstone. He has a question. And his question to each end of the spe- spectrum is basically the same. So that's all we're going to do for the rest of our time is look at these questions. Now, notice in the account that we read that neither question receives an answer. So he asks the two questions. He asks Judas a question. He asks the officers a question. Neither one of them are answered. They're just left hanging there. That means that you have space 
and room to think. That's the effect here, is that it leaves the reader with space, with room to think about what they're doing. And Jesus gives a a direction in which to think. Think about this, all right? So you, you have space this morning, space to think. Both of these questions really amount to the same thing. Both questions, the one to Judas in verse 48, the one to the officers in verse 52, both questions call the hearer to consider the incongruence of their actions with Jesus' character. Both questions call the hearer to consider the incongruence of their actions with Jesus' character. Let's look at each question and see how this is true. Let's start with Judas, okay? Those of you who are offering Jesus an affectionate or a respectful dismissal from your life, Judas approaches to kiss him. And in verse 48, Jesus says to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Right? Very famous, famous interaction here. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? So the key words here are betray and kiss. Those are two words that should never go together. Betray and kiss. That there's an obvious incongruence between those two words. Kiss is something we do when there's sufficient affection and attachment to a person. Betray is something we do when there is no longer sufficient affection or attachment. And Judas is doing both of them at the same time. And Jesus' question to him simply calls him to think about what he's doing. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man, that's Jesus, with a kiss? If Jesus is worthy of affection and respect, why is there betrayal? Why is there rejection? It would be much more authentic for Judas to also come out with a club or a sword if he really does want to reject Jesus. But there's this kiss. There's this affection and respect that are apparently in Judas' heart, even in the act of betrayal. And Jesus simply invites him to think about this incongruence between the respect that Judas has for Jesus and his actions. Okay, well, what about you? What about you who may feel like you've simply outgrown Jesus? Or maybe you value his teaching and his wisdom, but you don't buy, you don't buy the miracles, you don't buy the resurrection, you don't buy his claims to be divine, you just offer him a polite respect, but not worship. What would Jesus have you do? What would his response to you be? I think it's reasonable based on this passage that Jesus calls you to reflect on the incongruence between your respect for him but your simultaneous rejection of him as king and lord. Think about it. Think about what you're doing. Especially think about this. Jesus claimed to be God. In in no uncertain terms, Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be the exclusive pathway to God. 
He claimed that you couldn't be his disciple unless you hated, by comparison, you hated your entire family and even your own life. He claimed that everyone who did not believe in him, if you don't believe in him, hell is waiting for you and that he is the exclusive means of salvation from hell. Now, if you reject all of that, if you think those things are silly and untrue and dangerous and disrespectful of other religions and other lifestyles other than that of a Christian, is the person who taught those things worthy of admiration? Is he worthy of respect and a nod to his wisdom? Is that what you would say today of someone who preached the absolute exclusivity of Jesus and the reality of hell for everyone who doesn't believe in him? Would you give a nod to their great wisdom and talk about their goodness and the kind of respect that you have for them as a great teacher? Would you really do that? Have you ever really thought about how incongruent it is to dismiss Jesus respectfully? If, he's not, if he is not God, he is leading people away from God. He was a deceiver. He was deceiving people. He does not deserve to be kissed. He deserves to be pummeled with a club if he is not God. And to send him off affectionately is an incongruence. The thing that we all have to notice here in this scene before us is that rejection of Jesus, either by kiss or by club, is still rejection. And ultimately, there's no allowance by Jesus for how you reject him. Hell is the end result of every manner of rejection of Jesus. And the thing that's provided for you here by Jesus is a question and the space to think about what you're doing. So here it is. If you have dismissed him affectionately or respectfully from your life, take the opportunity to think about this. If Jesus is wrong in his teaching, should I be admiring him? And on the other hand, if Jesus is right in his teaching, why am I dismissing him? Can I afford to dismiss him? Let's look at the other question, his question for the officers. It's, it's a form of the same question. He's highlighting an, an incongruence in what he's seeing from them. It's an incongruence between their actions and Jesus' own character. This question comes um, to those here who are dismissing Jesus from their lives aggressively. Um, Maybe he's never been part of your life. Um, You're glad for it to be that way. You intend for it to be that way. You come to Jesus with a club or a sword, like these officers that we read about here. You wish that Christians and Christianity would, would just be gone. Let's look at the specific form of his question for you, and then we'll be done. This is in verse 52. Have you come out uh, as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. Okay, that, that's, his, that's his question. Do you, 
Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you day after day in the temple? You did not lay hands on me. What's he pointing out to them? What's he inviting them to think about in their aggressive posture toward him? Well, I think it's this. What possible reason could you have for your aggressive dismissal of me? Your aggressive dismissal of me. They're not arresting a a rebel or an insurrectionist or a murderer or a common thief. They're arresting a teacher, someone who's practically lived in the temple for the past week, calmly teaching, someone who described himself as gentle and lowly, a compassionate person, a healer. Their aggressive approach against him just doesn't make any sense, and that's what he calls them to consider. Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? That's not who I am. You've seen me day after day. If you are an aggressive opponent of Jesus, he gives you here an opportunity to think about what you're doing. Is your response to him reflective of who he really is? Does not your aggressive Response fail to recognize how obviously good Jesus is. What was he doing? His activity was healing. He was restoring people. He was present with the lowly. He was present with the poor. He was present with prostitutes. He was present with the outsiders. When everyone wanted to kill a woman for adultery, he was the one who stepped in and wanted to show grace to her, and he himself would lay down his life to die for her sin. That's, that's who he is. Is it even sane to take an aggressive posture towards such a person as Jesus? Now, if this is you, if, if you dismiss Jesus gladly and aggressively... The great task set before you, the great, the great thing that I'm going to ask of you, the great thing that I feel like you're called to by this passage of Scripture is to be able to separate your view of Jesus from your view of Jesus' followers. The great task set before you is to be able to separate your view of Jesus from your view of Jesus' followers. If you have taken an aggressive stance against Jesus and against Christianity, it's fairly likely that the stance has developed not so much as a response to Jesus himself, as, a, as much as a response to the activity of Jesus' disciples, people like Matt Brandt, other Christians that, you know, well, we've done things like what we see in verse 50. You've seen other Christians, or maybe you yourself, you've seen Jesus' disciples do things like we see in verse 50. Where one of Jesus' disciples draws a sword and cuts off someone's ear. We've hurt people. Either in our zeal for Jesus, or just plain forgetfulness of what Jesus wants, we have hurt people. I'm talking about us. Jesus' disciples. Like, if you are a disciple of Jesus, I'm owning and telling you we have hurt people. 
Maybe we had good intentions. We thought we were serving Jesus' interests. We thought we were doing the right thing. But we have, we have hurt people. And all the while, it was the last thing that Jesus wanted. Look at his response when this savagery happens. No more of this, he says in verse 51. Maybe your aggressive posture against Jesus isn't so much because of who he is, but because of who you believe his disciples are and what you have seen them do. You know, I think that's, we probably could all agree that that's probably the reason why the officers brought swords and clubs with them to this arrest. It's not that they were worried that Jesus was going to be difficult to apprehend. They figured we better bring these things because his disciples might be there too. And that's who we're going to need these weapons for. I think there are millions of people in this category. And maybe this is where you are. Aggressively opposed to Christianity, not so much because of who Jesus is, but because of who his followers are. And it's not hard to understand. It's easy to understand. And they were right. They did need swords and clubs. Because when they showed up, Jesus' disciples were hacking away at people. And maybe you have been wounded by Jesus' disciples, even leaders of disciples. If we read John's account, the Gospel of John, his account of this scene, John tells us that it was Peter who drew his sword and cut off the ear of this man. Peter was the leader. And maybe you've been wounded by a leader among Jesus' disciples. And if that has happened to you, I have two things that I would love to share with you. The first one is I want to say, I am so sorry. We are covered with shame and we were wrong to treat you that way. Second thing. Would you be willing to consider that your hostility toward Jesus, while congruent with who we are as his disciples, is not congruent with who he is? In contrast to his disciples, Jesus, verse 51, sees the wounded man and touched his ear and healed him. That's who Jesus is. Can you see him today for who he is? Are you able to see past the wild, admitted offensiveness of his disciples? Which he is opposed to. And see him as the one who desires to heal wounds inflicted by his own disciples. Do you see the difference? Jesus just gives you space to think. Is your aggressive rejection of him congruent with who he has shown himself to be? Or is it more so a response to his failing disciples? Is the club that you're holding really for his disciples? as it was in this account. 
I know that this is so, this is a huge ask. I know that this is so, so difficult because what I'm, what I'm basically asking you is, hey, are you willing to receive Jesus and come closer to this group of wildly offensive disciples that say that they belong to him? Right? Do I have any idea how hard that is after the kind of wound that you have received from his disciples and now I'm asking you to come closer? I understand. That's a huge ask. But respectfully, respectfully, we are shown, we are shown these things because in the end it will not be a valid view. It will not be a an understandable or valid response to reject Jesus on the basis of his badly failing disciples. Jesus shows here that he agrees with you. They are horribly out of line, and we still can be to our shame. You're invited to think about the club in your hand and ask, is this really here because of Jesus? This unbelievably compassionate person, true goodness, goodness in the flesh? Or is it really here for his disciples? Consider and make your response to Jesus. He agrees with you. Will you now believe in him? Believe in him, not us. We don't even believe in ourselves. We believe in him too. Believe in Jesus today and then come join us. Perfection not required, obviously. Father, thank you for this uh, word. Thank you for space to think. Jesus speaks these questions into the air. And his words don't just fall upon those original hearers of his word. They, they fall upon the whole world, even still. A whole world observing him and watching him and hearing what he has to say to people. And his words just hang in the air in these moments for real hearts to ponder. And we thank you and we acknowledge it. He's just given us space to think and to make our response to him. Father, I pray that you would open up eyes to the truth and beauty of Jesus. That you would um, allow the soul who has been wounded by disciples of Jesus to, in, in this moment, or maybe in the moments that follow later today, to be able to be able to look past the wild sword swinging of some of Jesus' disciples and say, I, um, I, see, the, I see the real Jesus just past, just past this one. He is there. He is a healer. He, he, he actually cares about me. Even though I have come out to reject him, he also looks past the sword swinger and he comes and cares about me enough to heal me. 
And I just I say to you, brother or sister, if you're listening to this prayer and that's you and you and you have been wounded, Jesus sees you and he would heal. Believe in him today. And Father, we, we commit our hearts to you and all these thoughts and trusting you uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.